Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to the podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, the 2020 Election Edition. We are here to take you from election to inauguration, examining the issues through the lens of history. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome, everyone, to an emergency edition of History, Politics, and Beer. I know we've been away for quite some time, but as we are approaching the election and uh, then the inauguration and uh, lame duck session, or not lame duck session, depends on who wins this election, Jeff and I thought it would be proper to come back and address some issues and try to put some things in historical context for us. So I am back. Jeff Hudson is back. It's History, Politics, and Beer. And as always, Hudson brings the beer to history, politics, and beer. So, Jeff, welcome back. It's great to be in front of the microphones again. And I have a beautiful can in front of me. It has uh, a fall foliage on it, doesn't it? Does. It does. It's kind of almost 70s looking. It like, does. Like it's, 70s wallpaper or something yeah, from, your, from your den. <laughs> and uh, it's it's called Festifall. Uh, which is just, it's an Oktoberfest beer. And, you know, Oktoberfest is the big festival they have in Bavaria every year. Started 1810. Now they get more than 6 million attendees. Last year they had 7.3 million liters of beer were consumed there. It's canceled this year doing uh, due to the coronavirus. We're going to have our own little Oktoberfest here. we go. Here. So this is one liter. We're going to open this bad boy up. There we go. Oh, that's a nice sound there. The aroma is excellent. Oh, I like that. Like that? Oh, yeah. That is, that's good. It has the darker malt. Right. I think it, I'm a hop guy. I think you're really a malt guy. I am these, a malt guy, yeah. These Oktoberfest beers, uh, traditionally, uh, these Merzen beers, they're called, uh, had a little more uh, hop in them and uh, a little darker. I like it too. I think it's a it's yeah, it a good a, beer. Almost like I, I'm not like I said. My I don't I don't have a complicated palate. Yeah. But let me take another swig here and I'll make my observation to make sure I'm correct. There's almost a hint of sweetness in there to me at yeah. the end. Like normally I'm used to that a little bitter. I'm all, for me I'm getting a little taste of sweet, which I really really like. That's good beer. Right yeah, there. it's uh, it's uh, made uh, right here in PA, uh, South County Brewing Company. So Festival, that's F-E-S-T-I-F-A-L-L, -L, quality beer. To me, that's an A beer right there. Oh, my. I like it that a lot. All right. So we have four of those. Those will go down smooth. All right. So today, Jeff, I think we're going to talk about voting. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about the election. I mean, we're you know we're doing this. We, think of us as uh, your security blanket over the right. next uh, few months. Uh, we are combat. We are combating fake news right here. <laughs> we are, and you know, and anxiety. We've had a pan had uh, you know a. Uh, racial divisions coming to the fore as they do periodically. And Toilet paper shortage. <laughs> we had that too. And, uh, you know. One word on that. I have a bidet 
at my house. So I was okay with the toilet paper shortage. Okay. Don't use much toilet paper. All right. Well, that's more information than I needed <laughs> to know. Right. Our listeners needed to know. But anyhow, uh, what we're going to do is talk about the voting process, the right. election process. And we're going to talk maybe about the polling, what's likely to happen. And then we're going to talk about uh, ways that this could blow up and become very tense. And then I, I guess the last thing, we're going to recommend the type of firearms we use if things really head south. <laughs> right. we're gonna, no, we're not going to go there. Uh, hopefully that won't be necessary. But, if, but of course, uh, I think before we get started with any of that, we have to talk about the bangles. You're referring, I think, not the bracelets, but the 1980s all-women's band. They were good. I liked them. I, Walk Like an Egyptian, Manic Monday. Quality stuff. There was it was great pop music, and I think the reason I started thinking about the Bangles was that I get nostalgic in the fall. Absolutely. And the you know the Bangles were in the eighties, and and you know they're on MTV and and on the radio, but they also their music is a little old fashioned. If you listen to uh, especially some of the things that aren't hits. And, and I found out that they got together and they bonded over 60s music. And you can hear it in a, in a song like, I mean, Manic Monday is one of the great pop hits of the 80s. You know, it's it's got that wonderful chorus. Pop, the pop then, anthems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's based on the kind of the universal truth that having a vaguely erotic dream is way better than getting up and going to work, which you can't argue with that. But anyhow... Uh, so I got interested in Bangles. So you get online. And, you know, I kind of went down a little hole. Uh, there was an article on Medium uh, called There is More to the Bangles Than Meets the Eye and You Should Know Why by Rachel McCary. And you know how it is when somebody has this passion for things. Um, she thinks the Bangles have been denied their rightful place in rock history. And she wants you to know that. But uh, the great thing about this is, you know, if someone's online, there's links to artwork and performances and music. And I, I linked to some of the, the music they have made in the past I knew nothing about. So give me a, a couple adjectives to describe Bangles music. Oh, it's, it's, upli- it's, it's, it's perky, it's fun, it's easy to sing to. It's Friday night music. How about menacing? Would you? Well, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, Walk Like an Egyptian was something the Steelers would come out to in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing really menacing about their hits, but one of the links had uh, them playing the, the song called White Rabbit, which you might be familiar with. I'm familiar with, with a, that song. It's a famous psychedelic uh, Jefferson Airplane song. And it is menacing. You know, it's, it starts out with this sort of drum roll, bump, bump, mm-hmm. you know. And they make it very, very menacing. I'm like, what is this? And then there's some spoken words about the Kennedy assassination and referring to how young. You should go listen to it. But I was like, what? That's the Bangles? And then there's some other links to Christmas music they used to produce for their fan clubs. I guess bands used to have, maybe they still do, fan clubs. And they do like a rendition of Silent Night. So that's that's a huge range. And I'm thinking, well, maybe they were denied (laughs) their rightful place in rock history. So you can see where this headed. We're talking about 
peaceful transition of power, right? With the right. Kennedy assassination. Yes, peaceful transition of power. The Kennedy, the famous picture of LBJ and Air Force One with Jacqueline beside him. Yeah. Well, no, that's not where we're going. We're going somewhere else. Uh, one of the bangles, Susanna Hoffs, is married to this guy named Jay Roach. And you know him, maybe, as the director of the Austin Power films, which were funny films. Yeah, parody of 007. Yeah, the 60s stuff. Yeah. And then you got the 60s connection again. Well, I found out that he directed this movie called Recount. It's about the 2000 election, which is the last time an election really just blew up mm-hmm. in America's faces. And... I had used that teaching before. I think it's a really, really good movie. It was kind of unexpected, just like the Bengals right. being unexpected. And I think what I'd like to do is use some of what happened in Florida um, to uh, review the election process and as a preview to what can happen now. Now, I don't think it will be like Florida, uh, but I and, and I would recommend anybody go uh, watch uh, the movie recount because not only does it go through the mechanisms of voting, you know, it it shows the role of the media, party leadership, courts, and all that. I mean, it's a complicated thing. Right? And for some of our listeners who may be a little younger, right? So this is election in two thousand uh, between uh, Al Gore and George W. Bush, and. Uh, the election was one of the closest in our nation's history, and it came down to one state, Florida. Now, of millions of votes cast in Florida, it came down to less than 500 votes separating the two. That's almost unheard of in this sort of election. And it got down to micro-analyzing ballots, and we really got a good view of the election process. And problems in the election process, the problems in balloting, and a lot of other things that people never thought about all of a sudden became very important. Yeah, and, and our election system is complex. It's, it's it's almost a little bit crazy. We have basically 50 mini elections, and it's that's due to the fact the Constitution gives each state the right to make rules governing how they will conduct their elections. So, you know, I, I think the appropriate word to describe the election system is uh, Byzantine. Uh, so the, the the first part of uh, our election, our voting process, we'll, we'll, we'll call this the voting process, is registration. And in some countries, uh, you know, that it isn't a two voting isn't a two step process. You don't have to register first, but registration just means getting and staying on the voter registration rolls. Right. So it's and this is to ensure that the person who, sh- who is showing up at the ballot at the at the place to vote is that person. So you just don't show up and go, hey, I'm not shocked. I want to vote. And they, and they, no, I'm already registered. They have my name in a book. I tell them my name. They look at my name. Now in Pennsylvania, I even have to make a signature and I sign my signature and the voting official can look at the signature on record and my signature. Yes, this is Matt Shockey. He is allowed to vote here. He is a resident. He, Matt Shockey, you can go vote. So this is kind of the first line of defense to make sure only the right people are getting to vote ballots. And some people uh, look at other countries which don't have uh, where you're automatically registered. It's not a separate process. And and they look at this as uh, one of the reasons why typically – 
compared to some other countries, we have low voter participation because people don't go through the first step. And then there's been things states do like motor voter registration, where when you get your license, you're automatically uh, registered. Now, reg this registration process can be uh, problematical. In Florida in 2000, what they discovered is that um, the Florida governor and secretary of state who was in charge of uh, the voting process, they employed a company called Choice Point. And Choice Point went through and got rid of the people who were felons. But they did it by names. And so many people have the same name. And there were people showing up in Florida and saying, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm ready to vote. And they said, well, no, you've been removed from the rules because you're, you know, and there were several names. But it's like, you're Joe Blow. You can't do that. You're a felon. And they're like, I'm not a felon. And really, it disenfranchised uh, a lot of people. And most of these people were people of color. Now, in, in a normal election, really, this really wouldn't make much difference. No, you disenfranchise even 10,000 people in a right. state as big as Florida, but in a where it's going to be 500-some votes. All of a sudden, every vote matters. And, and so uh, it is one of those things that really could have changed the outcome in Florida. So uh, that, that's a... It's a way that you can look at and it, it. Now Florida has passed a law that allows felons to vote. Once you've done your time and you're reinstated to, in society, they said, well, you can vote now. Floridians voted on that directly and was on a, in a referendum. Now, purging voter rolls has sort of always been sort of a sly tactic to limit who could get to the polls, right? So if you're not on the voting rolls, you you can't vote. So even in Pennsylvania for a while, I don't know when they we ended this, but if you didn't vote in so many elections, you were removed from the voting poll rolls. The idea being is you probably don't live in that precinct anymore and you went to live someplace else. So in Pennsylvania, you're probably going to find people in multiple precincts to vote, but they only can vote where they live. They just weren't removed from one before they moved across the state or maybe moved to California. So there's always probably going to be more names on the voter rolls than are actually going to vote because those rolls aren't ever 100% accurate. And purging them seems like a good idea and may be a good idea, but many times as the felon example, you remove lots of people who should not be removed. And now felons, I mean, people in Florida thought of that as an injustice. They voted to reinstate. The idea is that the felons have served their time. They're back into society. They can vote now. But then the legislature, after that was done, instituted uh, a law that says these felons have to pay any kind of fees or fines before they are reinstituted. In other words, basically what's referred to as a poll tax. Right. This is another classy example historically of how you keep people from voting. If you can't make a law that says person X can't vote, you just make the hurdles to get to the voting booth right. very, very difficult. X has to do this, this, and this, and right. then they can they, right. they so can vote. They can still vote, but in essence, they can't because the hurdles are too high to clear. So... Um, Anyhow, uh, that's, that's our two-step. That's voter registration. And again, because we have such a 
Byzantine system, um, you have different uh, registration rules. In Colorado, you can register and vote in the primary when you're 17 if you'll turn 18 before the election. Which kind of makes sense. Right. If you can vote, you know, it doesn't make any sense if, if you can choose people at the end of the process if you didn't have some say at the beginning. So, um, um, you know. Uh, and there's even a movement in some states to lower the voting age to 16. Um the idea being that 16-year-olds, have a they can drive cars, uh, they can donate organs, uh, they pay taxes because they have jobs. And is it really that big a difference between being 16 and 18? Well, this rem that reminds me of my favorite bartender in, in Indiana when <laughs> I was growing up because uh, you know, ran a bar on one of the lakes up where I grew up and uh, you could go in. And if you're 18, he would sell you a beer, even though the legal age was 21. Mm -hmm. And what he would always say is, if you're old enough to fight, this is during the Vienna, yeah. you're old enough to drink my beer. So there there you go. That's uh, Now, uh, this registration was impacted by the Help America Vote Act. Are you familiar with that? I do not, I do not know the Help well, America Vote Act. Well, I, I mentioned, I'm going to go out on a limb and says it's going to help America to vote. <laughs> well, I mentioned that. Uh, you know, I, I really liked uh, the movie Recount, and I used it as a way of kind of an inter, inter, entertaining way, uh, as entertaining a way as I could to teach this election process, which is pretty boring. But I have to say, when I got to the Help America Vote Act, you, you keep the kids. You can't keep the kids in their seats. No. Now, I, oh. I get texts and emails to this day about how exciting the Help America, teaching about the Help Mr. America Mr. Hudson, Vote it's the 25th anniversary <laughs> of the Help America Vote Act. How are you celebrating it? <laughs> exactly. Anyhow, what the Help America Vote Act, it was passed after the debacle in Florida, signed into law by the president selected by that process, George W. Bush. But it, it required that there be up-to-date voter registration and, and <clears throat> should be computerized and provided money for new machines. And it encouraged the use of provisional ballots because one of the things that happened mm. when these people were coming in and their names were should have been on the registration rolls and they weren't is they didn't have, they couldn't cast a ballot and now you can cast a, a provisional ballot which they can check later if you're not on their rolls they can check uh, and and your vote will be counted if you in fact are on the rolls. So, so there's a helpful piece of advice. If you go to the polls in Pennsylvania, uh, actually anywhere in the country, and for some reason they deny you the right or deny you the ballot for whatever reason, ask to vote in a provisional ballot. They have to let you do it and it will safeguard you that maybe your vote should be counted and that might be a tipping point in an election, especially if it's razor tight like it was in Florida in 2000. Right. And, you know, it did provide uh, money uh, to the states for new voting machines. If people remember what happened in Florida, there were these things called hanging chads. Yeah. And the idea was, and these actually was in the uh, most urban counties, which are the ones with the most people of color, they use punch card technology, which has been around since the 30s. I think IBM yeah. had machines. It. And so you took a little punch and, you know, stuck it in your choice, uh, can, uh, you know, next to a candidate. But that, that place where you punched might not get punched completely through. It could be hanging or you could have had a dimpled chat, which sounds like a medical condition, yeah. <laughs> you know. So uh, what they wanted in the the richer districts had 
what we call Scantron. It's 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 the way you're, it's an optical scanner. You you take a pencil and you fill in a, Much more a bubble, right? And that's your SATs are taken that way. And actually, if you think about it, this was another way where votes from districts and area precincts with that are poor and probably have more people of color, they're going to get thrown out more. Because so this was a good faith effort to fix that, and I don't know if you remember. You, I'm sure. Actually, I'm sure you do. You remember when voting in PA involved going into a machine and pulling a curtain, right? Oh, yeah. And then you hit little levers. Is that the way you and first you voted? To, <laughs> there was like a, then the, you had the, you reset the guy reset the machine, right? Yeah. It was like going in there like those things uh, you took pictures with your friends right. at, the, at the at the mall or. Um, and anyhow, those have been replaced. You don't do that. They're optical scanners now. You you either actually you either do it uh, online, uh, you know, electronically and digitally, or the way I always do it is I fill in because I take more time. I fill in the little bubbles, mm -hmm. and they feed it through a machine. It's an optical scanner. And that's good, a Help America Vote Act at work, and now you're excited about it. Well, so. I am, and that's a good thing because it not only gives you a a digital readout, but also as a paper copy follow. -up Absolutely, in you case need something the paper. in case something were to happen, because. One of the reasons why our elections in America are extremely safe from hacking is because there are so many elections taking place. As Hudson pointed out, really we're having 50 state elections and then each state has precincts in it. So Pennsylvania has 9,000 precincts. So you would have to manually mess with 9,000 precinct machines, and these machines aren't online. So hacking an election isn't hacking an election. Literally, you'd have to hack thousands, tens of thousands of elections to make a dent in the electoral vote uh, in each in any given state. So because our system is so archaic in a way, it makes it really- So dispersed. Yeah. It makes it really safe because there really isn't a central vote taking place. Hacking is very difficult. In Pennsylvania, for example, our machines, none of them are connected to the internet. So you would have to have somebody physically sneak in and load malware onto the machines. Now, is that possible? Sure, it might be possible, but how many machines could you actually load malware onto before someone caught it? It just makes that sort of fraud very, very, very difficult. Well, you, you mentioned to me before, what did Trump win PA by? 44,000? 44,000 votes. Out of millions of votes. Right. But nevertheless, if-, if That's 0.7%. Okay. So, but 44,000 votes, you couldn't dump those in one precinct. If you were going to try to cheat for Trump in that right. case, it would still be a huge project. Right. So, you know, the, the idea of voter fraud, even if it was possible, right? So we have this two-step process where you have to register first, but let's say you got through that, right? And now you really wanted to cheat in Pennsylvania. Well, you would have to probably cheat 50 to 75,000 votes to make a difference. And you'd have to sprinkle those 50 to 75,000 votes all around the state. That's 9,000 precincts, which means that each county also has its different ways of counting those votes. So you would have to infiltrate the voter register's office of hundreds of different areas where these things are being counted. Now, who would do that? Like, well, wait, wait, wait a second. But we're having a controversy because, you know, um, we have there's different ways after registration. There's different ways in, in voting 
And after what happened in Florida, actually, we started to do, again, there was a reaction from the system. Uh, Some states, including Florida, did multi-day voting. But there's been a big increase in mail-in voting, which allows people to vote ahead of time. Doesn't require them. Each each year uh, on Election Day, we have a group of people called cannot voters. Sometimes they're sick. Sometimes they're old people. They don't have a way to the polls. I mean, there there are these uh, people around. Sometimes it's a mom who got off work but doesn't have daycare for her kids. So she has to go pick up her kids instead of go to the polling place. So the idea, there was a recognition after Florida, and people started making it a little easier to vote. Actually, mail-in voting started in the Civil War, I think. Well, yeah, the first mail-in voting was for Lincoln. Um, Now, talking about, you know, it was suggested that maybe Trump should cancel the election because of COVID. Um, But it was Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War that said, if we cancel this election, really, what are we fighting for, right? We're fighting to save the Union. The election must go on. And it was there was ballots sent out into the field for soldiers to vote. So mail-in ballots have been around for quite some time in one form or another. And it was the mail-in ballots in 1864 that pushed Lincoln over the yeah, top. Yeah, the, the Union Army uh, vets voted for him. Yes. En masse. So um, anyhow, uh, there's still some states that, like Oregon, I think they run their entire election by right. now. And they've been doing it for years. Yeah. So, But there's a PA controversy, a Pennsylvania controversy. And that is, you hear people say, well, there's a difference between absentee ballots, which most people are familiar with, and... The the new mail that was beer by the way that's what that loud noise was we're opening up our second beer here <laughs> it's good it is good um, so w- what's the deal do you know do you know what the Pennsylvania uh, yeah so this is like so this idea that there's going to be so we talked about voting fraud showing up to vote right at the ballots at the ballot box and it's just not worth it right because you can't get enough ballots into the system to make a difference uh, and you're if you're gonna if you're gonna put 500 ballots you mean cheating on cheating this. yes yeah. uh, you're gonna go to prison for a real long time and 500 ballots aren't going to make a difference it's 44,000 was the number last time so now that I and that was an unusually small number. Yes. I mean, if absolutely. you're really going to make a difference in these elections, generally speaking, in a big state like PA, you're going to have to have 100, 200, 300,000 ballots. Right. Yeah. Yes. So then you'll hear uh, President Trump saying, well, mail-in ballots are going to be the problem. You're just going to have ballot after ballot after ballot. Well, in Pennsylvania, our Pennsylvania Constitution, uh, first, let me just read a quote from uh, Methods of Election and secrecy in voting. So it says, all elections by the citizens shall be by ballot or such other method as may be prescribed by law, provided that secrecy in voting is preserved. All right, so it has to be ballot or some other way by law. So let's talk about absentee ballots. You would be an absentee ballot if for some reason you can't get to the polls. In Pennsylvania, unlike other states, our constitution is very specific on what you can and what is going to count as an absentee ballot. It says the legislature shall by general law provide a manner in which the time and place by which qualified electors who may on the occurrence of any election be absent. It could be because of occupation, business, uh, occurrence of any uh, un, because of illness, physical disability, um, but religious holiday. But it lists very specifically what is an absentee ballot. So here's Pennsylvania. They want to do mail-in ballots for everybody. 
they can't call them absentee ballots because that would violate the Pennsylvania Constitution. So they have two choices. Either A, amend the Pennsylvania Constitution to change an absentee ballot. Which you don't have time to do. Right. It's going to take two sessions of Congress. It's a pain in the butt. Or simply call them another name. Just change the name. They're not absentee ballots. The first uh, part I read of the Constitution says, or other ways prescribed by law. So mail-in ballots are born. Basically, it's an absentee ballot with simply a different name. And why is it a different name? Because our Constitution says it must be. So when you hear that there's going to be voter fraud in Pennsylvania because mail-in ballots are going to be easy to uh, use in fraud, that's not true. It's the exact same process as absentee ballots. Yeah, but what about naked ballots? Well, that's a good question. I I don't like to see naked ballots because it's just not right, especially in my – I'm very a modest person. But let's go back to what the PA Constitution says. It says, all elections by citizens shall be by ballot or by such other method as may be prescribed by law, provided that secrecy in voting is preserved. So so does that mean there has to be a cover over this – Exactly. Your choices. So nobody can scan it, take a picture of it, whatever, right. and know that Matt Shockey, you know, voted for. And actually that. Whoever. So when they. So. All right. So I get my I did a mail in ballot. So I get that mail in ballot. I, I fill out my ballot. I put it in a secrecy envelope. That envelope does not tell you who I am at all. I put it in the main envelope. That main envelope has my information on it. So that main envelope goes in. They'll scan that main envelope. It says Matt Shockey has voted. But if they open that and look in, they'll know how I voted. So they have to take that envelope out. And then those envelopes are put aside. And then when somebody finally opens my envelope, they don't know it's mine. So secrecy has been provided by the two envelope system. Now it's going to slow down counting of ballots because everybody's ballot is going to have to, as in two envelopes, you don't have to open two envelopes. But because secrecy is mandated by our constitution, that secrecy ballot is as is by law. And that if you don't put it in the secrecy ballot envelope, we get what's called a naked ballot. And if you send in a naked ballot, it won't be counted. It won't be counted. Right. So don't don't uh, close your ballot. Right. And if you see online, there's a bunch of celebrities online naked um, t- talking about naked ballots. Oh, I didn't know um, Have you that. seen those commercials? No. I'm sure they're not really naked. I'm sure they're, the cameras are strategically placed, but they appear to be naked and they talk about the dangers of naked ballots because it's not only in Pennsylvania that's required. Well, and what's going to happen too with with the um, as as we know, Trump is challenging the validity of these uh, of, of massive mail in voting. Now, remember also, he won the last election and still claimed there was fraud. So, <laughs> President Trump won an election and claimed fraud. He lost by three million votes and claimed lost the popular the popular vote. Vote. he won the electoral college. yeah he lost the popular vote by three million votes and still claimed that there oh, was that's right he said they're illegal aliens and all sorts right. and then they put a commission I think uh, uh, to investigate that and they really didn't find that because we don't have a lot of voter fraud right. so if you but, think but the, you won't convince some people right so that. if you think Donald Trump is going to be a good loser he wasn't a good winner. So he is going to challenge something, right? This is just, to me, is a sort of an obvious thing that I can predict by what's already happened. Well, and, and there might be, um, um, you know, an opening for him to challenge because of 
partly because of this massive use of early voting and right. mail-in voting. Some states will count their, I think Florida is one of them, they, they count their votes, their early voting right away. And, uh, and, uh, and then they will count on election day. And there's a really good chance you're going to know the result in Florida, which is a super important state, as we know, from 2000 right. and also 1876. But I don't want to get into <laughs> that. But in uh, 2000. And so there's a good chance that we'll know. But in some of these other states, Pennsylvania is one of them. They went, now they're going to accept ballots that were postmarked but not received by Election Day. There's a chance you won't know who wins Pennsylvania. Right. So if there's a way that you have to get 270 electoral votes to win in the United States, which is one more than half uh, of the total number of electoral votes. If there is, if somehow Biden doesn't have those, because let's say Pennsylvania is not you know, counted yet. And if, you can, if Trump can get into the courts and get the counting to stop. Well, that's what happened in Florida. Exactly he got the counting to stop. Or he can declare victory and maybe the courts, uh, like they just recently did with the challenge in, in PA to mail, was it to mail in? Right. Down? So just to give a little background on that, uh, the Supreme Court just tied 4-4. Uh, which sent which if it, when the Supreme Court ties, it means that a, the previous uh, uh, decision by the lower court stands. And based the question was if pencil if you postmark your ballot by election day and it arrives late to the office in Pennsylvania, should it count? And the answer is yes. A lot, you can it, the ballot can be three days late as long as it's postmarked by election day, and that was just decided in court. Yeah, and I think Michigan is uh, another state that does things early, so and that's going to be an important state. So we might know, but if we don't know, it does give Trump the chance to declare victory. Hey, I, 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 I have more votes than Joe Biden. We don't know about these others or whatever, or it looks like I have to, you know, so so we don't know. And we'll go into more of the polling and possibilities in our next podcast right. of what could happen. But I think what we need to emphasize here is that elections in the United States are a way we choose our leaders. And it's extremely important uh, that all Americans recognize that it was a legitimate process. Now, we saw Al Gore uh, stand up for the constitutional process and for the electoral college. And we don't know how special this moment, that moment was until yeah, now. Yeah, in 2000. Right. Because, you know, um, people were not convinced because the voting, the, the recount was stopped by the Supreme Court. The recount was ordered by the Florida State Supreme Court, but they stopped it. And, and again, it was a five to four decision. And it was based basically on who nominated those justices. Right. And they stopped it. And then Al Gore got it when they certified the Electoral College votes in Congress. He presides over Congress as the vice president. He went along with it. So this is a even though what Bush won, lost 600,000 total. Right. And I remember uh, that. I remember his concession speech um, after all those after weeks later uh, after the Supreme Court case. I remember Al Gore saying, "I strenuously disagree with this Supreme Court decision, but it's their decision." 
and I will abide by that decision. He honored the rule of law. And I think a lot of some Americans and it might be commonsensical to think that, you know, the guy wins the most votes wins. And what Al Gore was reasserting is, well, we do have this process. It's the Electoral College and we respect the decisions of our courts. They stopped the voting and the recount of Florida. But if we don't, if the legitimacy process, the process, the legitimacy question is actually more important, not for the people who voted for the guy who wins, because you hey, I voted for that guy, he won. It's important for the people who lose to accept that person as president of the United States. And that's what's being monkeyed with right now. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. So, and and it, with no evidence, like I, I don't want to be partisan here, but when the president of the United States casts doubt on the legitimacy of election with little to zero evidence that voting fraud is taking place, has ever taken place in any meaningful way, it's dangerous because the public then is much less likely to accept those results, the people who voted against it. And that creates um, uncertainty in the population. Right. And, and, and we know, you know, Trump might feel that the investigation into Russia and their, you know, their efforts in 2016 on Facebook and other places to uh, influence the election, he might feel like, well, he's been undermined. His legitimacy was undermined, and therefore I'm going to undermine, even if I lose, I might undermine the legitimacy of the new uh, president. But it's a, it's a very, very important question, and we'll be dealing with that in our next podcast. One thing I would like to say is that even though these are hard times, let's go back to the 60s. The 60s started out, the very first thing I remember as a kid of any political consequence was Kennedy getting on the television saying we might get in a nuclear war over Cuba. That's how that was in, in 1962. You had the the you know the civil rights movement. You had people getting killed during that. You finally, had some successes in the civil rights movement. But by 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. We were in Vietnam. You talk about the the uh, the divisions in the country. You had riots in Chicago during the, right. the convention. Uh, so this country has been pulled apart before, and yet somehow we got through it. So we have to have a little faith here that our country and its processes will work, and I hope it does. Yeah, the the election is safe. Um, Arizona State, I'll leave you with this. Arizona State University uh, did a study between 2000 and 2012. Uh, They found 491 cases of voter fraud in 12 years. That's one out of hundreds of millions of ballots. Um, You probably have a better chance of dying in a a plane crash in a a jetliner than you do of being in voter fraud. It just is unbelievable believably rare. The Brennan Center for Justice equates that voter fraud happens 0.00004% of the time. It's Our system is very safe. It's designed to be safe. And you should trust the system. 
All right. All right. We'll see you soon. We'll come back next time. We're going to be talking about polling and where the uh, potential election is standing. See you next time.